We're continuing uh, our journey through uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we're skipping a little uh, passage. Um, I don't know whether this is God's plan and purpose. I'm sure it is. Um, we're going to come back to the early part of uh, chapter 7 later on. Um, so if you'd like to turn uh, with me, please, to, uh, to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start reading at verse 13. If you want to uh, look up in your... Um, uh, seat Bibles, it's nine, page 919, and uh, please keep your, your Bibles open at that page, because um, we're going to be referring back to it quite a bit. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Let's pray. Father in heaven, this is a tough passage. Help us to take it seriously, Lord. Lord, the uh, words of that song that we just sung are, are so true. It's not about us. It's all about you. It's not about what we think is the right way. It's about your ways that are holy and perfect. So, Lord, give us humility this morning. Open our eyes to truly understand what these words mean. Open our hearts to receive them. In Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. If we could have the slides, please. I'm going to leave this chair here, if you don't mind, just to one side, just in case... Um, my back starts to play up and I'm going to uh, uh, need to sit down. But I have to say thank you so much for your prayers because I do feel an awful lot easier. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to be looking this morning at this passage um, from Matthew chapter 7, um, entitled in my uh, Bible version as The Narrow Gate. But I want to lay down a few ground rules before, um, before I start because... Reading a passage like this and trying to interpret it, there's a real risk 
that we can end up being quite judgmental. We can end up jumping to conclusions um, about certain people and uh, you know, whether or not they're going to be amongst those that say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus says, I never knew you. So the ground rules are that when we look at this, we mustn't judge. And, you know, the passage that, if you look in your Bibles, just at the early portion of chapter 7, Jesus gives these warnings as a run-up to what he says. He says, don't judge. He says, look at yourself before you look at others. Take the huge plank out of your own eye before you look at taking the speck out of, out of others. So I want us this morning to look at ourselves as we read this passage. And I want to remember above all that God is a good father. Now it says earlier on in chapter 7, you know, God is a good father. We've just got to ask for whatever we want and he'll give it to us. Seek and we'll find. Knock and the door shall be opened. God wants the best for us. And then the other thing I want us to remember, and the, the, the words of that song were so beautiful. Thank you for picking that, Simon. Um, you know, God's ways are higher than our ways. Those words from Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We might think we know what is the right thing. We might think we know um, what God should do in certain situations. But you know what? His ways are far higher than our ways. Let's come back to that one in a minute. Now, the, a lot of people think that the Sermon on the Mount is about kind of good moral teaching. A lot of people will say, do you know, um, when Jesus told us, uh, you know, his, uh, all the sayings of the Sermon on the Mount, it's a really good moral way to live your life. You know, loving one another, turning the other cheek, all those kind of things. But when you really read it through, the crux of the message is actually about salvation. God is showing through Jesus, through that sermon, the way to eternal life, the way to salvation. And again, I want to start off by saying that through Jesus, we can be absolutely 100% be assured of our salvation. We have to make that clear from the word go. Because you could read those words at the end of that passage and say, well, hang about, people who are saying, Lord, Lord... Did we not do all this? And then he says, away from me, I never knew you. You could interpret from that, well, you know, what's going on here? Is it possible that people lose their salvation? And I want to say right from the start that we can have absolute assurance. God gives us his Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Romans 8 tells us that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Height nor depth, angels nor demons, nothing on the earth or under the earth. There's nothing in all creation that can ever separate us from the love of God. And there's that promise that those that he chose, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. We can absolutely have that assurance. But how do we get this salvation, what's involved. YouGov did a poll uh, a bit over two years ago asking the question, if there were such a thing as heaven and hell, where would you be going? 
And there's some interesting statistics there. I don't know what this says about men and women. Um, but 14% of men were probably pretty honest in saying, well, actually, if there were such a thing as heaven and hell, then I'm going to hell. 6% of women. Women are obviously much better, which is good for International Women's Day and Mother's Day. Um, quite a few people don't know, which I guess is a fair um, kind of thing to say if people genuinely don't know. But it seems that kind of the majority of people, if you ask them, are you going to heaven or hell, say, well, you know, I, I think I'm going to heaven. You know, I, I, I lead a pretty good life, you know, I'm I'm honest. I don't kill. Yeah, I think I'll probably go to heaven. You know, just as throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of turns things on its head. Read what some of the words say there. You know, enter through the narrow gate. There are few that find it. Not the most. Few find it. There are many that travel down the broad road, and the broad, lead, broad road leads to destruction. If Jesus was giving the answer to this survey, it would be the other way around. Most, many, are destined for destruction. And just a few will find life and life eternal. You see... Jesus says this thing is very binary. He says there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. There's no way in between. The narrow way, the narrow gate leads to life and the broad gate, the broad road, leads to destruction. Jesus says later on in Matthew, whoever is against me, or sorry, whoever is not for me is against me. So there is no kind of don't know in this. It is, in Jesus' terms, very, very binary. Jesus brings a completely different perspective. And there's three kind of chunks to this passage that we read. There's first of all, there's, there's this right way and this wrong way, this narrow gate, narrow way, broad gate, broad way. Then he says, don't be deceived. There are false prophets out there. There's false teachings that will deceive you. And then he says, make sure you don't deceive yourself in a roundabout way. And some of these lessons are kind of easy for us to take. The words in this are pretty plain. It's not like they're really complicated, really complicated sentences. They are easy to understand. It's the implication of it that is so hard. Is it really the case that so few will find eternal life? Is it really the case that so many will end up going to destruction, going to hell? So let's try and understand what's behind Jesus' teachings. <clears throat> I don't know if any of you have seen the hole-in-the-wall uh, uh, game, right? Uh, game show. It's a bizarre TV program. I'm not even sure it's still on now. It's this kind of thing where you kind of see it in passing and you're drawn into it because you think, what on earth is going on here? 
But for those who haven't seen it, it's a, and I'm sure you're not going to admit it because it's a terrible program. Um, it's where these celebrities um, dress up in very unfetching lycra suits. And there's a, uh, a range of uh, shapes that they're asked to make. And this wall kind of moves towards them. And they have to make the shape of the hole in the wall and uh, fit through. And if they can get through without the wall breaking down, they get points for their team. I have no idea what the point of it is all about. I just kind of uh, uh, saw it in passing. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? But do you know what? A lot of people uh, think about... Um, you know, this, this passage, the narrow gate and the broad gate, and you think about the narrow gate and say, well, do you know, God, hasn't God made it really hard? You know, in saying it's a narrow gate and few are those who find it and few are those that go through it and find their way to life, it's almost like, you know, God's made an impossible shape hole for us to get through. Why would God make it so hard? And do you know what? It's not that God has made it hard at all. God has made it so easy. It's almost like there's virtually no wall there at all. You know, God has said he's uh, sent his own son to die that anyone who believes in him, anyone who believes in him shouldn't perish but have eternal life. He says earlier in Matthew 7, you've just got to ask, you've just got to seek, you've just got to knock. And, you know, everyone who asks will receive, everyone who seeks will find, everyone who knocks, the door will be open to. How easy could it be? This is not about the narrow gate being narrow because it is hard for us to go through in principle. So why is it that so many people end up, in Jesus' words, following the Broadway? You see, there's a a way, as it says in Psalms, a way that seems right to man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. And some of the things that God requires of us in order to go through the gate are not necessarily the way we would like to do things. And sometimes it's easier to follow our own way, to put our own interpretations on things, to say, do you know what, God, actually we know better. And it's easier to follow what is a more reassuring lie than it is to follow the truth. You see, the broad way is very easy. It's very attractive. It requires no real commitment. It requires no real moral character, no sacrifice. We can kind of uh, go our own way, make our own lives up. So we think the broad way is the easier way, and we end up making it hard for ourselves to go through the narrow gate. I want to look a little bit now about what is meant by this gate. So the first thing is that the gate is Jesus. I don't know if you twigged this. It's not anything about a journey. It's not about a a lifestyle. It's not about a set of morals that is the, the gate to decide, you know, whether or not you're a Christian. The gate is Jesus. It says in John 10, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
Jesus is that gateway to salvation. Unless you go through Jesus, there is no salvation. And you know, I've not twigged this before, but as I was studying and I was uh, uh, looking at this passage, the focus of the passage is not on the narrow way. Yeah? The narrow way is mentioned, but it's not Jesus' command to travel on the narrow way. What does Jesus command us to do? He says, enter through the gate. That's all he requires. It's all about, have we entered through Jesus? Have we got the salvation that Jesus brings us? The rest follows, right? This is not about, you know, this is a really difficult journey. There's a narrow road ahead and, you know, people are going to kind of fall off that road uh, and, you know, it's, it's all kind of dangerous. No, it's nothing about that. It's enter through the narrow gate because that is the way to life. And it's narrow kind of for three reasons. First of all, it's because Jesus is the only way. There is no other way. Jesus is the only way. Secondly, it's narrow because we can only go one at a time. Yeah? You have to make that decision personally for you. It's not about um, you know, being saved by association. And thirdly, it's narrow because you can't take a whole load of baggage with you. Jesus expects you to leave all that. Going through the gate is an acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord of our entire lives. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Put aside everything that you think is right. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is the gate. You know, it is possible to hang around outside the gate. It is possible to kind of share in the experiences of church. It is possible to, to pray. It is possible to, to read your Bible. It's, it's, it is possible to, to kind of understand and, and see the message and still not enter through the gate. You know, Jesus told a parable about a sower. And uh, so I went out to sow seed, and some of the seed, you know the story well, I'm sure, some of the seed fell on rocky ground, and it, uh, the, the sun uh, kind of killed it, parched it. Some of it uh, fell on very shallow soil, and very quickly um, the, uh, uh, the plants um, grew up, but then, because they were in shallow soil, they, uh, they withered. There were some that were dragged down by thorns and weeds, and yet there were others that uh, were on good soil. So what's all this uh, about? How do we kind of square these two stories? For me, I think the only seed that genuinely went through the gate, if you were, if I'm not mixing my metaphors, was that that fell on good ground, deep soil. You see, it's possible to get excited about the Word of God. It's, it's possible to see it as a great way of uh, morally living your life. But if you don't go through the gate, if you don't hand over your entire life to Jesus, submit to his lordship and authority, then you're quickly with her. It's possible to hang around outside the gate and think this is a great thing and I'm going to start getting involved in uh, um, you know, all the things of the Christian life. 
but carry with you the weight of money, of job success, personal success, and not be able to get through that gate. It is possible. But Jesus says, beware, because that leads you down the broad road. I wonder, do we set our own priorities or do we look to to God as Lord of everything we are? Could you, we're not uh, progressing on here. Could you put on to the next slide, please? I don't know why it's not working. Have we frozen? Don't you just love technology? Okay, well, anyway, the next slide is, uh, is about um, deception. And it's a slide of a, a flock of sheep. But, here we go. Ah, thank you. But with a wolf in sheep's clothing. Jesus says, don't be fooled because there are false prophets out there, false teachers, people who would lead you astray. And again, we've got this word, many. This is not, there's just going to be a few false teachers, you know, sending around a few uh, messages that are a bit uh, iffy. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And the interesting thing about the, the kind of picture that Jesus paints here is that these false prophets are in the flock. They're not wolves trying to get in from the outside, you know, they're not obvious, they're not there to uh, uh, kind of jump over the wall and uh, devour you. They are in the flock. You know, there's a saying that if something uh, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it probably is a duck, yeah? Heard that saying? What Jesus is saying is, you may look like a Christian, you may walk like a Christian, you may speak like a Christian, But actually, beware, because there are false prophets out there who would lead you astray. There's a passage in uh, 2 Timothy there that says, a time will come where people will not put up with sound doctrine, i.e., they will follow after doctrines that are more acceptable to uh, what people think. You know, and there's, there's big deceit, Big deception, and, and probably that's fairly obvious. It's stuff like, you know, uh, other religions. Uh, it's acceptable, you know, to, to follow other religions. All roads lead to God, don't they? Well, they do, but it depends what happens when you get there. <laughs> yeah. So those are, you'd like to think, they're the kind of deceptions that are easy to, to uh, sort out. But then there's the more subtle ones. Now, how could a God of love really send people to hell? You know, why would a God of love not stop two loving people of the same sex getting married? Come on, God's a God of love, isn't he? See, these subtle deceptions, and there's so much of this teaching now throughout the church. So much. And we've got to be absolutely on the ball to take everything that we hear, take it back to Scripture and say, is this what God really says? You know, because when I read the Bible, there's things that I see in there, and I think, you know, God, I wouldn't do it that way. 
know, we say God's a God of love, but, you know, just get to chapter 6 of the first book in the Bible. God wipes out everybody on the earth apart from eight people. You know, yes, God's a God of love, but he's a God of justice. He's a God of holiness. And we can't compromise that. And it might look good to be able to say, do you know what, let's just go the easier way. But Jesus says, don't be deceived. Earlier in Timothy, Paul warns that there'll come a time when the church will have a a form of godliness, but will deny its power. You see, if we... If we don't understand what God's about, if we don't truly hand over um, our lives to him, if we don't truly enter through that gate, we're denying God, his power and authority in our lives. So in the last part about Lord, Lord, I think the message here, and I'm sorry for that disturbing image, (laughs) I'll I'll try and move off it as quickly as possible. But Jesus is saying, look, don't be deceived by others, but also don't fool yourselves. Right? Be honest with yourself about your relationship with God. Because we might put on an appearance, right? We might put on a show that says, do you know what? I'm, uh, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm going to church, you know, I give in the offering, you know, at least any spare change I've got. You know, I, uh, you know, I turn up to events that, uh, that I think are going to make me uh, look good and important. But First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, Man <coughs> looks at the outward appearance, what it looks like we're doing. The Lord looks at the heart. And you know, the, the words at the end of that passage that we read surely have to be the most disturbing words anybody can ever hear. You know, imagine you're queued up waiting to get in through the gates of heaven, right? And you, in that YouGov poll, said, yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. You know, I've lived a pretty good life. I've not been really bad. I've done all those things, you know, that I think we're supposed to do. Imagine the devastation when Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you. This is serious. This is a matter of absolutely life and death. So, saying Lord, Lord is about submitting absolutely to the Lordship of Jesus. It's about going through that narrow gate, making sure that you've gone through it, Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, notice there's a conditional thing in there. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, but in this passage, Jesus says, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. But this says, If you believe and say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, belief is an interesting thing, isn't it? You can believe something in your head, yeah? But that doesn't necessarily translate to your heart. It doesn't translate to the very core of who you are. 
You know, Satan believes that Jesus is Lord, but doesn't do anything about it. In fact, fights against him. We can understand, we can read the word, we can believe it in our heads, but Jesus says you've got to um, translate that to a deep belief in your heart, your very being. Something that says, Lord, Lord, it's not just a, a kind of prayer, not just a kind of ceremony, but something deep in your inner being that says, I'm handing over lordship of my life to you, Lord Jesus. This last Tuesday, Meghan Markle was uh, baptised and now apparently is a fully-fledged member of the Church of England. I'm not going to make any judgment about Meghan Markle, right? I have no idea whatsoever what went on in a conversation that she may or may not have had with her parents, who uh, apparently were, uh, were brought up as, as Protestants. I have no idea what conversations and ta- teaching and training might have gone on as she met with the Archbishop of Canterbury. I have no idea. I pray that genuinely she has a faith. We'll know by the fruits that she, uh, um, she bears. But the point of mentioning that is that when people read that, what do they think about the criteria for being saved is? I'm sure that most people think now, when it's just about a, a ceremony, it's just about saying a few ritualistic words, and that's it. But it's not. Jesus says, you know, many will be fooled by that kind of thing. You've got to enter through the gate, you've got to enter through Jesus, and then only the one who does the will of my Father will go off to eternal life. Only the one, verse 21, who does the will of my Father. And how do we know what the will of the Father is? We've got to know him. We've got to know him. We've got to hand over our, uh, our lives to him, absolutely. And the real test of whether Jesus is Lord of your life or not is when you want to do one thing and God tells you to do another, you do this. Yeah? You go God's way. The broad way is, I think I know better, so I'm going to do what I want. The narrow way is, Lord, I don't get it. (laughs) I don't really understand why you are asking me to do this but I submit to your lordship because it's not about me, it's about you. And only those people, when they say, Lord, Lord, will Jesus say, yeah, come on in. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I know who you are. So I challenge you this morning to, um, to think about where you are. You know, have you gone through that gate? Have you entered in got that guarantee of salvation and security. You know, Paul had a great concern for the church. And right at the end of uh, um, his two letters to the church at Corinth, he said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Paul was writing to the church, passionate that they test themselves, whether or not they're just hanging around outside the gate or whether they've genuinely 
gone in through the gate. So church, don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Be sure of that salvation that Jesus can bring you. Amen.